Welcome to another episode of the Saxo Market Call podcast. My name is, uh, as always, Sorinato, and today I am visited online by Cheru Chanana, which is our, who is our head of macro, and not head of macro, but head of FX strategies and also our macro expert. Hi, Charu. Hi, Soren. Great to be back with you on this Monday morning here in Asia. Yeah, it is Monday morning, as you say, and today we're going to talk about, I know if you listen to the last couple of episodes, everything is, or at least a lot is revolving around earnings, but uh, the way I said a lot of it, but not everything, is that there's also a lot happening on the macro scene, and that's what we're going to discuss today. We're going to talk about uh, the US economy, have a look about how that's going, because we had a very strong uh, non-farm payroll number on Friday. We're also going to talk a little bit about the macro implications of the Red Sea crisis. And then we're going to talk about China and some of the recent announcements out there and their general uh, work to get their economy on a better note than uh, than it currently is. But let's just jump straight into, into the US first, Charu. As I just uh, teased before, we had a very strong non-farm payroll figure, which is this figure that shows how many jobs were created more or less in the US over the past month. Could you let us in a little bit about mm. what, what what was it that happened there? Yeah, Soren, what a smashing number we got there. We got uh, 353 K jobs added for the month of January, which was like way above expectations, which were around 180K, right? So, um, and given that we've been in this high interest rate environment and specifically January was a period of, um, you know, where where the US, uh, parts of the US got a cold snap. Uh, so obviously there were some expectations that we could see the labor market starting to cool off at this point. But certainly uh, I think uh, that's been proved wrong as of now. Now, the big question really here is, uh, you know, um, there can be obviously arguments that could say that uh, this is just one month of data and how much can you trust or make, um, you know, um, assumptions based on that. Uh, well, it was not just, I would say, one month of data. We also got uh, a number of revisions. Uh, like, for example, just the December number uh, was revised higher by over 100K as well um, in terms of the headline number. And if you look at all uh, through 2023 as well, there were upward revisions in those number of jobs added by about uh, 400k or something. So um, I think it is hard to discount uh, this number by saying it was just one month of data. Then obviously there can also be an argument to say that, you know, it's a survey data and maybe unreliable, maybe the response rate was low and that was the reason. Uh, But we are actually seeing this strength of the US economy being mirrored in many other metrics, be it retail sales, consumer confidence, or even GDP. I mean, we saw that blowing past estimates as well in the last few weeks, right? Uh, so certainly, I think this um, has been a big, big factor driving the markets on uh, Friday in the US session, and then um, today as well in uh, the Asia session on Monday. Uh, so I think a big focus there. And then when you club it with what we heard from Powell uh, after that FOMC meeting last week um, and in uh, the interview uh, with CBS on the 60 Minutes show uh, on Monday as well, I think uh, the sense really is that uh, there is lack of confidence now in that March rate cut that the market was really pricing in. 
at the start of the year. So um, I think that's really the big focus uh, and how it's how the expectations are shifting is that we have now, the markets have now pushed back on the expectation of the first trade cut. So March is only at about 20% probability now. Uh, and the focus is really shifting towards the rate cut cycle starting in May or June. Uh, but overall, I would say uh, the market is still looking at about 120 basis points of rate cuts uh, this year, which is still a little bit aggressive compared to what the uh, Fed dot plot showed uh, back in December. December was when we got the latest dot plot. We did not get it last week. Uh, so that uh, showed 75 basis points of rate cuts uh, in 2024, whereas the market, like I said, is still a little bit more aggressive um, compared to that with about one, 120 basis points uh, priced in around that. And the reason why we're discussing this idea that whether a rate cut will be postponed or not is is that when you see these strong financial figures then because the reason why you would cut rates is because you're worried of this recession that we've talked a lot about or at least a slowing economic growth but then you really think that if all the numbers still perform pretty well then there's no real reason to to sort of ignite the the economy further by by making it more attractive to lend and all of this isn't that sort of how how rates and numbers like this hang together Absolutely, Soren. On a very theoretical basis, yes, the rhetoric really is that if the growth outlook is still strong, where is the need to cut rates? But then, uh, you know, the broader rhetoric that is really ruling the markets right now is that of disinflation. You cannot rule that out. Powell did not rule that out. That really continues. And when you have disinflation, what really is happening in the current environment is that we are keeping our nominal rates stagnant at this point, whatever, five, five and a half percent. Uh, we're keeping our nominal rates there, but inflation is going down pretty quickly. Uh, and what that means is that real rates, so real rates meaning nominal rates and taking the inflation out of it, that is expanding very quickly because of disinflation. And when real rates are higher, that is likely to um, come through as an impact on growth. It will be a problem for growth in the coming uh, quarters. And uh, that will be potentially still the, be the trigger for the Fed to start cutting rates in May or June. Like, like I said, may, may not be March, okay, uh, because we wouldn't really have enough data now uh, until March to kind of support the case. And uh, Fed officials have been so uh, outspoken about the fact that they do not have enough confidence in a March rate cut. So from a credibility point of view as well, potentially they need to push it forward. But I guess, again, you know, real rates is going to be one big focus for them. And the second big focus will also be what's happening in the regional banking space, because we do see pressures ramping up there coming through from the commercial real estate. And, you know, how quickly and how broadly that spreads will be a key focus point for the Fed. And that is something that can really get worse. I mean, we've seen that with the subprime crisis, right? It can get worse pretty quickly. So that's something that needs to be on the radar as well. Uh, but even though Powell and company are trying to push forward those rate cut expectations, um, they are still somewhere hinting at mid-year being the likely timing when they want to start because they also don't want to be starting a rate cut cycle too close to um, the U.S. elections, which are scheduled for November this year. So, Chara, just 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 elaborate a little bit on it. You you mentioned it briefly, but since this is pos uh, 
at least theoretically postponing the idea of a rate cut with the strong uh, non-farm payroll. Uh, generally, you can say something like the non-farm payroll. It's discussed how much uh, real impact it has for markets. But uh, in in a time like this, where it seems like the markets are just searching for something that could point in a direction, whether we're going to get a recession or not, or, or yada yada. Uh, I mean, uh, a non-farm payroll like this, obviously, the, the 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 delayed rate cuts would be seen as a negative for the markets. But on the other hand could also signal to the markets that recession isn't really that close. Um, what, what, what was the market reactions to, to this uh, report Friday and, and, as you said, this morning in Asia? Yeah, yeah, no, Soren, I mean, I would say that uh, this cycle is obviously proving to be very different from what we've seen in the past uh, economic cycles, right? Because of the long and variable lags, we've, uh, we haven't seen anything like that in the past, or at least uh, there's no memory of that because of how things have changed during COVID or because of uh, years of negative and low interest rates or due to massive amounts of fiscal spending that we've seen in the U.S. economy. And also now, I think this whole um, restructuring of businesses uh, because of what is happening in the artificial intelligence space. Now, uh, I would think that um, we, the labor market, uh, there is a chance that we may not see the weakness um, uh, to be the same as what we've seen in the previous cycle because this AI boom continues to mean that mark, uh, that companies have to hire people uh, of a very typical skill set to be able to prepare for that future. Now, of course, there is going to be some pressure from high interest rates uh, for some time, but eventually uh, most of the businesses are transitioning to be uh, prepared for that AI shift and also to be prepared for a shift that is coming through from fragmentation. And you talked about the Red Sea crisis when you introduced things and uh, we, we can come back to that later on. It's a whole different discussion. But the way supply chains are fragmenting right now uh, and the whole concept of French shoring and near shoring, that again means there's a lot for businesses to adapt to. And that is why the impact on the labor market may not be, like I said, the same as what we've seen in the previous economic cycles. That does not mean that there's no, that's, there's not going to be a recession or it's a soft landing that the Fed has engineered. Like I said, the banking sector itself is throwing up flashlights right now. Um, and these high real rates will uh, put a lot of pressure on some of the other interest rate sensitive sectors as well. And uh, I do think that the economic conditions right now are too fragile, but they are being ignored because of these uh, some of these headline numbers that continue to be strong due to some idiosyncratic reasons. If we go back to 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 the Fed a little bit, uh, Jerome Powell, the, the president of the Federal Reserve, he was uh, he had an interview in the American TV program that's called Sixty Minutes. Uh, a few hours ago, I think it was this night European time, night of uh, between Sunday and Monday. I know you you mentioned a few things from from the from the Fed already, but did anything come out in that interview? I know you've seen it uh, that that sort of uh, made you stop up, or anything else that you think was was interesting from that interview. 
I mean, uh, I think it was known previously that this interview was actually taped uh, before uh, the NFP numbers really came out on Friday. So I think it was uh, filmed on Thursday. Uh, so there was little scope uh, anyway for uh, Powell to kind of steer away from the rhetoric that he had shared on Wednesday following that FOMC meeting right at the press conference. Uh, and that's pretty much what he said Uh but you know, looking back, I would I, I would actually think that um, uh, whether it's about the interview or about uh, that FOMC press conference, uh, I would actually wonder if Powell really already knew where the NFP number was going or uh, you know how it was going to be. Because um, I mean, if he had really let those March rate cut expectations fly, and then on Friday we would have got this 353k job additions from that NFP report. He would have certainly looked like a clown there. <laughs> uh, so I mean, I think everything just you know falling in place. I think whether it's NFP or FOMC press conference or uh, the 60 minutes uh, interview from Powell today. So all all kind of yes, talking about disinflation. This inflation being there for the last uh, several months, uh, which is a good sign, but not enough of a sign for them to start cutting rates. But I guess that is the rhetoric which will change in the next month or so because of the real real rate uh, equation that I just uh, explained about. Uh, but overall, yes, they do seem to still have that some bit of a confidence around how economy is um, and don't see the need to really cut rates as soon as March at least. Let's just look quickly ahead to to the week we've just begun, because we also have some some other numbers. We have ISM CPI coming, uh, or at least revisions here uh, later this this week. Are there any of these numbers that you pay specific uh, attention to this week that could uh, prove some of the ideas that you have here, or that could worry, or could could really change the way that the market sees this, or that the Fed sees? Uh, the current macro landscape or the U.S. economy uh, as that? I think more than numbers, honestly, it will be the the Fed speak. We have a lot of Fed speakers due uh, to go on wires uh, this week, uh, starting today itself. Uh, so uh, I do think every uh, statement of what they say will be kind of uh, analyzed by the markets to you know get a sense check on if it's not March, whether it's May or June and how much of a rate cut uh, scope there is for 2024. Um, I think data can really play a smaller part in that because it's a little bit further ahead in the in terms of the timeline. Uh, so I think it's more the Fed speak, but certainly, yes, that's CPI revisions. That's, that's a big focus, and that's something, again, that has been previously mentioned by uh, one of the Fed members as well. If I'm not wrong, I think that was Waller who talked about it and that he said that it's going to be a key element element uh, in their decision-making pro- uh, process. So I think uh, that will be the one to watch. But other than that, I think, yeah, it will mostly be uh, the statements coming out of, uh, you know, Fed members um, and their comments around the economy and the path of interest rates. Char, let's leave, uh, let's leave the U.S. economy for now, uh, just uh, at least for a little bit or at least uh, as a general topic, because I think we should move to the, to this Red Sea crisis uh, and talk a little bit about what the macro, uh, political and, and economic uh, impacts of that is, because we have seen over the past year, uh, uh, I would say probably a sharpened rhetoric uh, from Iran, for instance, and also the US seems to continue their, their retaliation attacks uh, out there. What's your 
view as a as a macro expert on 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 a crisis like this, where obviously we don't know where it's headed. Um, but how do how do you see it impacting the financial world, which is the one we spend time in? Hmm. Yeah. So I mean, certainly things uh, seems like things could be escalating here after those attacks from the U.S. and the U.K. on Iran-backed groups in the Middle East. And then uh, there's obviously a risk of retaliation as well from both sides, actually. So, so I mean, of course, uh, over the weekend itself, we've seen uh, escalation risks really rising higher. But again, it's not something uh, that uh, that's come out of the blue. We've seen that in the past as well, and probably Ole can tell you better on what this means for you know the oil prices, which is obviously the first uh, place where we see the impact, uh, but also on freight prices and you know internally in the team in the Strats team at Saxo so here we've had that debate, Sauron. and I'm sure uh, you you've been a part of that as well, where we've talked about what this could uh, the just the increased freight prices, what that could mean for goods inflation and where that could go. Um, so there is obviously an argument that uh, freight costs could bring goods inflation back uh, to trouble uh, markets and to trouble central banks uh, this year. But then there's also another side of the argument that says that freight costs are actually a very, very small percentage of overall goods cost. So the impact may not be material unless, of course, things really, uh, you know, escalate from here. Uh, but from a macro standpoint, as you call it, and I uh, was uh, trying to talk about that previously as well, uh, I think from a from a little bit of a long-term perspective, um, there is certainly a risk that this whole crisis kind of fuels more of that fragmentation of the global economy. I mean, we've already seen that happening for a few years since the uh, since the tariff war that came through from Trump and then after COVID as well. Um, but the sense is that all of that could get accelerated. You know, we could have smaller and more interlinked trading regions um, just so as to, you know, avoid your dependence on um, goods and services coming from um, a, a country that is located potentially a, a lot far from you. So French shoring and near shoring. And this is, I think, especially true for critical items, something like energy and food, or even maybe pharmaceutical, medical supplies, technology to some extent, we've seen having a big impact of this fragmentation game as well. And of course, defense uh, also. So uh, as this focus on being self-reliant grows, I think these will be some of the areas which will be the first focus. Um, uh, and I think uh, really just the, the how the trade relations in the global economy get realigned uh, if this Middle East conflict kind of lingers or I, I wouldn't even say if it escalates. Only if it lingers, uh, it creates that risk in supply chains, and that will eventually be in inflationary in nature if we do see that fragmentation game playing along. So not not that we should, of course, give any trading advice or anything, but but for for the traders and investors out there, obviously this is something to pay attention to, but it's not something that you should necessarily uh consider doing a complete uh, 180 on your on your portfolio right now because we still don't know exactly the impact yeah. all right then uh, Absolutely. yeah great um i think we should jump to china because that's also very interesting and we've also already been talking a lot which is great 
I really like being in the studio with you, Char, even though we're not in the same studio. Um, mm-hmm. We uh, we we've discussed China a few times this year already because the it really seems like they need to to improve their their financial situation, and they they just came out with some news not too long ago. Could you could you tell us what that was about? Yeah, I mean, so we've been seeing this these uh, measures from China on and off. They've ramped up a little bit, I would say, into 2024 compared to 2023, where they were really slow with any kind of stimulus announcements. But uh, yeah, this morning in Asia hours, um, we did get an announcement on uh, China trying to um, kind of stop the route, taking some measures to stop the route in the equity markets, because in, on Friday, we obviously had a pretty bad day uh, for the Chinese markets as well. But overall, I think uh, Sorana doesn't really change the direction that the Chinese economy has been taking so far. These could these measures could potentially help to put a floor, um, but uh, it's not something that can get investors extremely excited about uh, getting back into the Chinese markets or making use of its cheap valuations to get some exposure. Uh, what the China economy really needs is some amount of structural reform here, not these kind of, you know, band-aid solutions and measures. Um, so I think overall, um, there are a few points of concern right now uh, from for, for the Chinese economy. And uh, uh, these these include really, you know, one thing is that uh, coming out of that Politburo meeting of the Chinese officials, the message was a little bit disappointing. Um, there was a lack of details as well on the third plenum meeting. It is third plenum meeting is a meeting that really offers clues um, more so about the long term plans of the economy. And it could have been you know, used to kind of address some of the structural issues facing the Chinese economy, be it on the property market side that we've discussed quite a few times or be it on the productivity side as well, where China is facing a real challenge. Uh, this meeting, third plenum, usually happens in October, November, and it was scheduled to happen October, November 2023, but it hasn't happened yet, and it's been pushed forward. And there is obviously, like I said, there's no details yet as to when it will really happen. Uh, so that's really a big point of concern. And now, secondly, I think what's really haunting the Chinese markets right now is uh, the uh, the increasing probability of a Trump 2.0, right? I mean, with the way uh, these um, the election cycle in the U.S. is moving right now. There is obviously some reason to believe that we could um, get that, and we uh, we have got an increasing rhetoric from Trump uh, lately about how he would increase the tariffs on Chinese imports, and you know, um, so he he kind of remains in that camp um, of uh, you know making America self reliant and kind of you know creating. Um, or trying to at least, you know, um, um, bring out these tariffs in a more, in a more um, uh, stronger uh, rhetoric as well. So I think that that's obviously again a point where Chinese uh, investors would, you know, market market participants would be cautious of re-entering that Chinese market unless there is more clarity 
on what happens in the U.S. election front as well. So, um, yeah, I think the pressure, the the lack of confidence um, just continues there. And we do get more economic data this week. But again, I don't think it's going to change anything, uh, particularly as to where the Chinese economy is going or uh, what, what it means, unless we get some some reports of uh, an effort towards structural reform, really. But that's definitely something that we'll keep track of. Uh, as as I said in the beginning, we are very much in earnings seasons, and I just think it's interesting to briefly touch upon one of the big Chinese companies here, Alibaba. Uh, and in in given this environment of sort of a pessimistic view on China, how how will that impact uh, a company like that? So, I mean, Alibaba has obviously made a lot of, uh, you know, structural changes in the last year. They've uh, kind of split up its massive business empire. They've uh, reshuffled their management team as well and brought in now finally a new CEO as well to lead the company. So I think there are some pockets of strength uh, for Alibaba, uh, but it is really going to be a test of time uh, because all of these changes are unlikely going to have an impact very quickly. These are things that is obviously going to you know, uh, bring about positive changes in in some time. It's not going to be as quickly as this quarter. Uh, so overall, from an earnings standpoint, I think their logistics business is particularly expected to do well. Um, and they're also expected to get some tailwinds uh, from artificial intelligence enhancements in their e-commerce business also. Uh, but like I said, yes, I think just to you know keep um, uh, expectations a little bit more modest, uh, it, it does seem like um, a company where shareholder return is being prioritized because that's what is going to potentially make investors stay invested in that stock as they wait for that business transformation to really have an impact. So I think that shareholder return will continue to be the the factor to watch for in the meantime until we get uh, uh, a, a better economic outlook as well as uh, the company outlook as well. Let's move off of China quickly, Charo, and just just do a, a, a short little uh, discussion before we we end this uh, this episode today, because I know that you wanted to talk about uh, an, a recent announcement from the Royal Bank of Australia, and and I guess here we're gonna dive a little bit into your other area of expertise, which is uh, which is FX uh, and what that will mean for the Australian dollar. Could you just, uh, I know at least it's not something that I necessarily is super strong in, so could you tell me a little bit about what, what happened there? Uh, okay, so just maybe to step back a little bit, so far, you know, the sentiment really has been that uh, the Reserve Bank of Australia was the last one to start hiking um, and will potentially be the last one to start cutting rates as well. Uh, but we got a little bit of a reality check on that assumption over the last few weeks where growth data has been disappointing in uh, Australia and now also the CPI numbers. So they, they report both monthly and quarterly CPIs. Uh, monthly CPI a few weeks back, I think it was a couple of weeks back, um, disappointed. But as um, RBA focuses a little bit more on the quarterly inflation print, and we got that uh, last week, and that was also a little bit softer than ex- uh, expected, which um, means that, uh, you know, um, there was a more serious reassessment of 
the RBA expectations. And um, like I said, there was quite a disparity. Um, you know, to start the year, we had RBA uh, only being expected to cut rates by 50 basis points uh, compared to Fed, which was um, as high as, what, 140 basis points at the start of the year, right? Now, Fed is down to 120, but RBA is still at about uh, about 50 basis points expected but so still a huge amount of disparity there despite that um, you know inflation trajectory uh, showing a little bit more confidence of moving towards target quickly uh, faster than what the RBA itself was expecting as well so um, and then, of course, there's this whole China rhetoric as well, which impacts Australia in a big way because of uh, you know, Australia being a big commodities exporter and China being the biggest commodity importer. And if Chinese demand does not pick up, what does that mean for the Australian economy as well? So the outlook on that front, again, is um, you know not looking um, extremely optimistic at this point, which means that... Um, and there is some scope for the RBA to loosen up its hawkish stance. Uh, so the, the meeting is actually uh, on Tuesday uh, in the Asian morning hours. Uh, so uh, now what happens there, uh, really, I mean, I wouldn't say that RBA will embark on a dovish rhetoric, especially after what we've heard from Fed and even ECB pushing back on those early rate cut expectations. So certainly there will be an element of pushback in RBA rhetoric as well. But just softening the tone from, you know, its previous meetings and kind of acknowledging that inflation is moving favorably. Uh, that does mean there's a lot of scope for um, the market to price in some more um, or an early start of rate cuts for the RBA as well. And uh, that certainly proves to be, you know, uh, I think a dovish, uh, I would say, or a bearish rather outlook for the Aussie dollar from here. So I think uh, we're closing in on half an hour and I think that we managed to get through everything I wanted to talk about today. Is there anything that I've omitted that you think we should uh, just touch upon uh, briefly before we close off? I think we've covered uh, quite a bit here, Soren. Uh, there's always so much to talk about. We can go on for hours. But I think we covered pretty good ground. And at least I think we've proven that uh, it's not only earnings season that's worth talking about right now. There's so much going on out in the world. And uh, I guess if you just take, take the helicopter view, we're still in this situation between between two chairs where it can really go well, but we can also see that there's some risks out, out in the world. Isn't that sort of a, a relatively fair assessment of uh, the global macro perspective right now? Yeah, Soren, I think, right. I mean, as much as... <laughs> markets continue to kind of now look in other direction and talk about, you know, coming from recession concerns to talk about resilience now. Uh, I think, yes, uh, a reality check is always needed. And um, that's pretty much what we tried to do today. Thank you so much, Charu. And uh, thank you for uh, making us all smarter. Once again, I'm sure we will uh, be back in the studio together uh, very soon. And, uh, to all you listeners out there, thank you so much for listening and to supporting the Saxo Market Call podcast. We will be back soon again. Until then, on behalf of Saxo and everybody here at the Saxo Market Call podcast, safe trading.